Welcome to the Grace Life Podcast, hosted by Grace Life Church in Alabama. We're glad you've taken a moment to listen today. If you'd like to get in contact with us, our Facebook page and our website are linked in the show notes. We believe as you listen to the Word of God today that you will be blessed and that your life will be changed. Let's join the service already in progress in the sanctuary with Pastor West. Praise God. John 15. Talking about the love of God, aren't we? Aren't you thankful for it? We're going to look at really two verses here, two foundational scriptures. And I guess, uh, I don't know, this would be, how can I say this? If there was only one thing that I could ever minister one time to people forever, this would be it. You say, well, they need to know how to live by faith. Yeah, but faith works by love. Right? You say, well, you wouldn't preach on healing because a lot of people need healing. Well, just get into the love of God. See, love reaches out to every need, right? My God supplied all my need according to his riches and glory. Whatever the need be. So that may be used to receive the offering, but it's my God has supplied all my need. How do you do that? According to his riches and glory by Christ. But your need is supplied in Christ. You say, well, no, what I need is money or healing. No, you don't, need, you don't need healing or money. You needed Christ. And he supplied you with what? Christ by putting you in Christ. And in Christ, Colossians says, where all the treasures of him is found in him. How about that? So if you only had one thing, really, you could ever minister to people. This would be the premise upon everything else is built. If we don't have the love of God toward us. Last week I did more uh, towards others, and that's generally more how you hear the love of God, which is absolutely correct. But we don't hear a whole lot about how much He loves us. I'm going to take a little bit for a week, I can tell. <laughs> so, John, uh, in, in other words, you think about it, most of the teachings or sermons you ever heard is about. Walking in love, right? Yes. Loving people as you're supposed to love them. Treating them kind. Treating them fair. Treating them better uh, than what any of us deserves. That's all altogether scriptural, is it not? Yes. But if you don't have a, the, the understanding of how much he loves you, how can you give out what you're not receiving? That's true. Huh? See, so Ephesians 5 says, Be imitators of God as his dear children. But then it pointed back to how, how much he loves us through Jesus. So in that, we want to look at these two verses as the foundation. Now, you have to remember both of these are the, the night before he was uh, crucified. So Jesus said in the ninth verse, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. As Jesus said, as God the Father, his Father, loved me the same way I loved you, continue in my love. And then he said um, over in John uh, 17. John 17. And I, and I want to read this from the uh, I should have it here somewhere. If I don't. If, do we have the NLT? John 17. And let's go to verse uh, Remember, this is right before he's arrested and crucified. 
John 17. So he's praying for them. And let's see if we can go with uh, verse 14. We need to put it in context. Jesus speaking over the disciples, he said, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. I pray that you would not take them out of the world, but you would keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified through the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but for them which will believe on me through their word. Now, let's say that again. So Jesus said, I'm not praying just for the disciples here that are with him while he's praying this prayer. But he's praying this for who? For, for those who will believe. It's, well, here it is. We have the record of it. So we're still believers here, right? So this prayer is, is not just for them. It's for who? It's for us. Because we're believing through the word, they were the witness to the word. Now watch here. That they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in you, that we, that we may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which you gave me, Jesus says, and Father, the glory that you gave me, I'll give them. So I said, you better watch it. Don't ever show God's glory. The glory he gave me, I'll give you. Amen. That we may be one even as, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then um, the NLT says, and I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Next verse, watch here. I and them, you and me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And Jesus said, Father, let them know that you love them about half as much as you love me. As much as you love me. Let my people know that my love for them is exactly the same love that you have for me. So that means there was unity and love among the Godhead. We talked about last week. How the Father loved the Son. Is that true? Yes. Did the Son love the Father? Yes. Do you suppose the Father and Son love the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you suppose the Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Son? So he said, as we were before there was a world, as we, we loved each other, now as within the family of God, let them know that you love them just as much as you loved us. Now, if you were to ask most Christians, do you suppose God loves you as much as he loves his own son? They'd say, well, I don't know about that, that much, but I know the Bible says he loves us. Well, how much do you think, how close to that? Then they, I don't know what kind of answer you'd get and never ask that question. If you were to ask them and say, well, do you think... The Father loves you as much as He loves God, the Holy Spirit. I think you get a wide array of answers, don't you think so? Because <clears throat> have you ever saw Jesus sin? Has the Holy Spirit ever sinned? Has people ever sinned? So when we put ourselves in and we, and we grade ourselves, we assign a grade to ourselves based on our behavior. We know they've been perfect, and uh, some of us not as perfect. And uh, so we, sometimes we, we put the condemnation and guilt on us and we say, well, I know God loves us. I guess he has to. Actually, he doesn't. But he decided he wanted to. Right. 
So, so here we are with that. So God is 100% love in, in his fullness because that's who he is. That's his nature. He said he's love, right? So if he's, if he's 99% love, then he has to be 1% something else. So you, you can't say I'm, I am love in its fullness if you're 1% less than 100, you're not complete love. Go to 1 John, the epistle of John. Same guy, just a little older. Of course, we didn't read, you know, we didn't read that, but all of it. But in John 15, uh, he told us to, to abide in that love. The same way that he loved me, I love you. Now you go love them the way that we loved each other and we love you. And then abide in that love, which means to remain in the love, stay in the love, stay hooked up, stay constant with the love. Keep yourself in the love of God. First John 4. Verse 7, King Jimmy, James. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If he's 99% love, he's not love. He, he'd have to be love and, you know, you... Uh, if, if, if you've followed your family tree back, you know, you, you, you might have found there's a, there's a mix in all of our DNA, right? I mean, at one time, this, this part was home to the Native American Creek. How, how many have some Native American blood somewhere in your family that you know of? Some, so, um, I don't know if you sleep in a tent and go, ooh, you know, you, you, that probably hasn't carried over to your family. I did that as a little boy, you know, and had a bow and arrow. And after I shot my brother, she took it away from me. But, and, but, but we all have a mixture of something, right? God is the mixture of love and nothing else. There's not a scripture that says God is power. Does he have power? There's not a scripture that says God is wisdom. Is there anything he doesn't know? We could go on and on with that statement, but God is what? He's absolute, complete love. And does love ever change? So we were talking about last week in Malachi, and this was in the teaching of tithes and offerings. He says, you left me. And they said, well, and he says, they said, well how have we left you? He says, he says, return to me, I'll return to you. Under the old covenant, he was saying, he said, he said bring the tithe into the storehouse that would meet my house. And so we, uh, uh, the people weren't given the tithes and they weren't given offerings. And he says, it's, it's, it's because of who I am that I change not that you're not consumed. So in other words, you've left me, you've departed from our covenant, but because I love you unconditionally, that's why you're not consumed. Hmm? You, you, have you ever heard that God can't look on sin? I have. You ever heard that? It's an old covenant teaching, right? <clears throat> well... You don't have to raise your hand, but since you've been safe, have you, have you ever sinned? There's no amens now. <laughs> right? I, I always say that God has to turn his back because everyone, someone sins. You know, people say, well, he had to turn his back. Then God's in a constant. He'd have to be the dizziest God in, uh, that ever was, 
right? He'd be con- he needs a swivel throne, right? Because he can't look on anybody. Right? God turned his back before Christ's death, and when he did, death came to Christ. God turned his back on Christ, so he would never turn his back on you. So when he says, uh, well, let's keep on reading. What verse were we in? No, we are on verse 8. Thank you. So he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, or here's love. This is love. You want to know what love is? You want to know what love is? Here it is. It's not that you were loving God, but that He loved you. Sometimes we ask a lot, do you love God? Well, it's okay to ask that. But He said, this is, this is what love is. It's not that you loved Him. It's that He loved you. And sent His Son to be the propitiation or the payment for your sins. Beloved of God so loved us that we ought to love one another. Now, uh, verse uh, 15 of that same chapter says, Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, or perfected. That we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. He's, this would cover many things, but he's talking about believers towards God and believers towards their father. That there is to be no fear between you and the father. There's different kinds of fear, right? I mean, there, there, there's, there's a good fear. Like if you're about to go out on the highway and you see a, a truck, a semi-truck coming, and you'd be a little afraid to step out right before it gets to you. I'm going to go ahead and call that wisdom. Amen. Of course, now what the church would do, if you went and stepped out, just having a bad day, the church would say, well, God took them. Well, more like God had to receive you but did God say in the truck? God said, I think I'm bored. I need something to do today. <laughs> well, well, then I guess if he did that, he took them. But no, he, he received them. But between us and God, there's supposed to be no fear in love. Perfect love or mature love cast out all fear because fear has torment. He that feareth, or I can say it this way, he that, he that feareth his position with the Father today is, is not perfect in your love. He that fears that God won't help, he's the fear that God won't come through. He that fears that God is angry, he that fears that God is judging them. You're not mature in love. You're mature in law. See, Law would say, if I've been good, well, because that's the way your world's worked. That's the way your parents is raised. If you was good, it went well with you. When you wasn't so good, 
it didn't go as well, right? And depending on how we was all raised, I mean, the, it could be dealt different ways. I didn't really stand in the corner. I'd have been good to stand in the corner. <laughs> I might have ended up in the corner, <laughs> but I didn't. I, that wasn't my punishment. My punishment generally wasn't go to my room and think about what you did. Mine was like, go to your room and get over what just happened. And so that's why I never had to hear three times go do something. Well, if, if we think God is angry with us, if we think God is not listening to us or answer our prayer because of we haven't had perfect obedience, right? Then we might think, it, and if, if we just really blew it this week or, or at some time, we think, well, God's kind of withstanding, you know, he's kind of standing me down. That's where, that's where condemnation comes in. Jesus could have just quoted the law to the woman caught in the act of adultery in the book of John. They, they brought her there for that reason. It wasn't so much to catch her, they were trying to catch Jesus. So they thought we finally have a situation to where we can catch him with his own words. You know, we'll condemn Jesus with his own words because Jesus was, came, born under the law, but to redeem them was under the law. So he had to come under the law to redeem people who run the law, right? To bring them out of the law. And so they said, this woman just now was caught in an act of adultery. We dragged her out of her home and she was caught. The law says she has to die. What do you say? Remember? And, you know, he took some time there. The Bible says he stooped down the ground, was writing something on the ground. And they're waiting on an answer. And Jesus just simply gets an, gives an answer. He says, he says, the law says that. So I say to you, any one of you here who does not have sin in your life, be the first one to throw the first stone. That's, that's words from heaven. Yes. You know, they, they had him caught, right? Looks like they had him caught. So if you're, if that is the law, so we'll say it like this. We need some order to how we're going to chunk these rocks. So those with you without any sin, you, you be the first to cast the stone. And the Bible says they all went out. They, they all left that scene and it gives us an order the way they did it. They left from the youngest to the oldest. Now I wonder why that is. We don't really know. We can just speculate. I think the older you've been around, the longer you've been in life, the more mistakes you've made, right? Right. right? So they had more to remember. If you, were, if you were there and you were 90, you could think about, what well, if I made it from zero to 90 more than if I was 10. So they, they all went out. Then Jesus asked the woman a question. He said, who condemns you? And she, you know, she was bracing for the rocks. And she said, uh, none, my Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. She broke the law. She just committed adultery. Right? right. He said, I do not condemn you. But then he told her. Go and sin no more. You know what gave her the ability to go and sin no more? He gave her a gift of no condemnation. By me not condemning you and giving you grace, something that you don't deserve in mercy, I'm giving you the ability to go and do it. I'm not just telling you to not go sin. I'm giving you the ability to not do it. Hmm? 
Grace covers, but it's not a cover up. And so when we use the word grace, and I will today, really, here's really what grace is. It's just the, the manifested love of God at work. That's what it is. Um, so here, 1 John 3, come back to 1 John 3. So once again, he tells us to abide in the love. He's saying, the way, he, the way the Father loved me, so I loved you. You go love others. The way we loved each other in the Godhead before you were here. He said, we're, we brought this love to you. Now stay, keep yourself, abide, keep yourself in this love. Remain in this love wherewith I loved you. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. But beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now this is a family. Can you see the family? Jesus said, I was in the original family. Now, now you're in the family. Now the word behold, uh, looked it up here. Let's see what I put. Uh, it, it, it can mean the quality of love. Behold means, simply means uh, look, not take a, not just take a glance at, but give a strong, strong attention to. Not, it, it's just not a, something that we glance at. In other words, with all the intensity that you have, behold the love of God towards you. Why? Because that gives you boldness. And if you go right back to First uh, John, where, where we was at, or go to First John chapter four, he said, "Herein is your love made perfect or matured." When you have mature love, he said, "Then you'll know this: that you'll have boldness, you'll have peace, you'll still be in the joy of the Lord when it comes from the time of the judgment." Now, now you understand there are there are judgments coming in heaven. You understand that? Y'all understand that? We need to cover that <laughs> real quick. <laughs> there is not a judgment for a believer. When the only judgment for the believer is you as a believer before God with the call of, with what you're called to do in life. You're here for a reason. God has a purpose for you. And it's not just to live a natural life. You have a purpose. You have a, an assignment. Yes. That's what you will give an answer to him for. Yes. Not, not to the elders, not to the disciples, not to the apostles. You will look Jesus, the head of the church, face to face, and you will give an answer for your assignment to him. Amen. But it won't be about sin. Because all sin has already been judged and Jesus became guilty of all sin for all mankind. God has poured out all sin, past, present, and future, in one person named Jesus. And I know that's hard for some people to believe because they've been in 20, 30, 40 years of religion. But if you would like to settle that, I'm available all day today. And everything that you bring up about that, I will kill with this word. And I'll stay in the New Testament to do it. And when you get through the book of Hebrews, and we come out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, 
you have nothing left but to make a decision. How could he love me that much? It is an amazing love. An amazing love. God has determined that he will not look on your sin for the rest of your life. But he wants you to turn away from all of it because the wage of sin is death. And he knows what that will bring to you. He's not paying you back. The penalty is in the sin itself. See what I'm saying? I mean, if you go home and you eat or drink strychnine, it would God be killing you? The penalty would be in the right. See what I'm saying? You know, if, if, if you hug and kiss someone who has the flu and a stomach virus, sometimes the church will say, well, you know, they've, they've been sinning. So God gave them, you know, he brought sickness in life to straighten them up. Quit kissing people with the flu. <laughs> See, you know, you say, well, that's silly. Well, I, I'm just telling you what's I've been doing this 20 something years. I know what I'm talking about. So you wouldn't do it this way, would you? If you was on 65 and you was going 90, they pulled you over. And you got a ticket. Speed limit's what, 70? No one here has ever broke that. I don't know, but I mean, let's just pretend like you did. Right? You, you do understand one of the laws was obey the law of the land. Right? So if you've ever, if you've ever exceeded the speed limit anywhere, anytime, then you are a lawbreaker. True? Yes. James said, if you are a lawbreaker and you broke one law and you're a person who lives of the law and not by grace, you can do that. But you have to keep every one of them. And if James says so, if you're, if you're going to live under the old, then you have to keep every law. But if you break any law, then you're guilty of every law. So, have you ever... Picked up a pencil and took it home or a pen or a paper clip. You know, when you go back and read, because there's the Ten Commandments, but then there's 613 more. And so there's at least 624 laws. So if you ever break one, James said, so, so if you steal, you're also a murderer. Because, see, you broke that law. You say, well, I didn't murder one. He says, but you're guilty of all of it. If, it, if, if he had a law that says, thou shalt not eat a Twinkie. Thank God I hadn't found that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I get it? Well, he said, but, but you will also now be an adulterer. He said, if you exceed the speed limit, if you put it into our time zone, right? I guess, I don't know if they had speed limits for camels or whatever, but I don't know. But if you... But in our covenant, we are supposed to obey the law of our land, right? And if you don't naturally, then we, there's a penalty on the earth. But spiritually, if you're living under the law, if you, if, you, if you was going 75 in a 70 and you want to be a law person, you also are an adulterer and a homosexual. You say, I'm not that. I didn't do that. You're, you're guilty of all of it. See, a lot of us think that God is blessing you because you're obedient. And there is a blessing of obedience. But God is not blessing you because you are obedient. 
Romans 5 said, by one man's obedience, not yours and his. His. By one man's obedience. Well, it actually, it contrasted the two, Adam and Jesus. By one man's disobedience, this will help someone. I've said it many times, but sometimes you've got to say something 10,000 times for someone to get it. Like me. For... Romans 5 said, for one man's, well, it'll help you if we go look at it real quick. Romans chapter 5. Because, see, this needs to be set like concrete. Amen. Because life keeps washing this away. Yes. It's like going to the beach and putting your name on it. It says, Earl loves Katie. <laughs> <laughs> and then the wave comes in, takes Earl and Katie out. Y'all know that? I don't know me. I just need to use. Now, uh, verse uh, 12. By one man's sin, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world. Now, who's this one man you're talking about? Does everyone agree? By one man's sin. Sin, by one man, sin entered the world. And what, and what was the result of that sin? Yeah. Death. So then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, did you sin? I wasn't there, was you? I mean, if you were there. <laughs> we, I don't know <laughs> I want you to pray for me for a long life because <laughs> you believe in it, right? So, so, was you, so did you transgress at the same time Adam did? You weren't there. But Adam represented the human race that was and was to come, right? He was kind of what you might call the federal head of what was about to come, Adam and Eve were. So by one man, sin entered the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Uh, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed, for there was no law. In other words, there was no law against, he had a law against this, because God told him, not, told him not to partake of this tree, right? right? But there was no Mosaic law, there's no Moses right here. So no one other than that one sin, there was no sin in the world. I mean, or he said there was sin in the world, people were sinning, but there was no law against it at this point, except for the partaking of the tree here. Now watch here. Verse 14. But nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. What did Moses do wrong at that point? Nothing. He's just coming in the line of descendants of people being born in the earth, right? Even over all them that had not sinned after the similitude or the likeness of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense... In other words, you can't compare the offense to the free gift. The offense or the sin or the mistake, he says, you cannot compare it to the free gift that's about to come to you. For through the offense of one, one who? Adam. Many be dead. But did, did, did you pick the fruit and eat it? But he's in your family. So we get his penalty. You say, well, that ain't fair. Well, I, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I, you know, when I first read that, I said, that, that ain't right. I didn't do that. 
unless you'd have been there. <laughs> right? But now watch here. But much more, somebody say much more. The grace of God and the gift, the gift that came by what? There's a gift and the gift came by grace. But you have to understand now, grace is not a subject. Grace is love at work. Love is not a subject, right? Love can't be a subject because God is what? Love. And love is God. So when we talk about love in the context of the, the, the scriptures, who are we talking about? God, right? So the gift came by grace. Grace is a person. Grace is Jesus Christ. See what I'm talking about? Which is by one man. Jesus Christ. Now, now it says, and not as it was, but one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. So there would, there would be a, a judgment here, and it would be condemnation, but the free gift of many offenses unto justification. Now watch here, verse 17. By one man's offense. Once again, who's that? Adam. By, one, by Adam's offense, death reigned by who? How many? Just, just one, right? But much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by who? One, Jesus Christ. So one man got us in a world of hurt. And one man got us out. Amen. Did you do anything for the transgression? Did you do anything to get out of it? Was it Jesus' ability and yours? Was it you doing your best plus Jesus that did it? We weren't even there. Right? So, you, weren't, you were guilty by association, but now you're free by association. You're righteous by association. Right? I mean, you had to put faith in that, right? What Jesus did? So you're righteous by faith. There's no works in that. Now, righteousness will produce a work. It'll produce a fruit. But you became righteous simply through believing upon Jesus Christ. True? Yes. One man got us in, one man got us out. All right, now, um, for, for sake of time, verse 19. By one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. Now, I, I, I was with someone a little while back, and they told me, uh, God, he said, God's blessed me so much. And they said, why God? And someone said, he sure has. And the, and the guy said, why God bless you so much? He said, because I'm, I'm, I'm very obedient. Well, that works good for you in the world. And you should be. And as Christians, we should be obedient. But we're not being blessed because on the purpose on the, uh, of our obedience, here it is, look here. So by the obedience of one, of one, is that us? That's him. Who was obedient? Jesus. Jesus. Who was disobedient? Adam. By association with Adam, we got his penalty. By association with Jesus, we got his reward. Now, don't run off and say, well, it don't make no difference what I do. I did not say that. Matter of fact, if you want to know, we'll, you get into the sixth step chapter and you'll find out it does matter a whole lot. 
Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered. What's the law? Ten commandments. They came through Moses, right? The law entered that what? The offense may abound. Now, if, if, if you wasn't reading this and you was going with your Sunday school, you'd have a hard time with what I'm about to say. The law came to increase sin. The Ten Commandments came to increase man's sin. He said, there's no way I'm believing that, accepting that. The Ten Commandments came that the offense might abound. But where sin abounds, grace does what? God didn't want them to have the 10 or the 613. And they said, give us something where you bless us because we're good. And God said, I don't want to do that. They said, well, we, we, we want you to bless us because we're good. They Tell us what your righteous standard is. And, we, and They said, we're well able to keep it. He said, you are. <laughs> so he gave them 614 things. Such as, I know we make a joke out of it, but one of them is, one of the 614 is, you will not have a bowel movement on the Sabbath. That could change your life, like for a long time. <laughs> for us, you would definitely need to be thinking about, you know, what we're, going, what we're going to eat the day before, right? And do not drink any hot tea or coffee the next moment, for sure, right? I'll leave it right there. Would anybody like to live by that system? So if, if, if they found you having a movement the next day, the penalty's death. Sound a little harsh, don't it? So when they got God's law, they said, who can keep this? The answer is no one. No one. I never wanted you to do this. So he knew when he gave them the law, when they found out what they were guilty of, he knew it would increase. The law came so it would increase. They would see that they can't keep it in hopes that they would ask for repentance and ask God for mercy and grace, which is what he wanted to give them in the first place, which is what they had and Abraham had before Moses. People thought they could do all this stuff. Because see, he was really given to the Jews. The Ten Commandments was never ever given to you, actually, ever. But we just took it as ours. Hebrews said it's already ended. It's obsolete. It's, it's put out of order. And if you just are a person of love, love would fulfill all of it. You wouldn't need a commandment, thou shalt not steal if you love, right? right. I mean, who's going to rob Jacks, Jacks or Burger King or, or anybody or steal from the neighbor if, if you're living in the love of God? So, so you wouldn't need a law, would you? So love fulfills every law and every commandment. But they wanted laws. So he said, it came that it might abound. And that was verse 20, right? The Amplified says this way, listen there. It says, the law came in to expand and increase the trespasses. I've read this all over the place to people in Christian life. Yeah. See, what, what we would think in our, just our natural thinking, in our church thinking, religious thinking, is that people were unrighteous, they were unholy, right? So God was trying to fix their unholiness. Get it under 
wraps or keep, you know, and was trying to, trying to rein all this sin in, right? Trying to change your behavior, right? I mean, I, I, y'all are going wild, so I need some rules for wild living to rein you in, right? But that's not how it worked at all. God gave you the law to show you your condition, how bad you really were. You just thought you was okay, but then when you saw his righteous, holy standard, you saw, man, I, I, I'm breaking all these. So the law had no ability to make you righteous. The law wasn't your medicine. The law didn't fix anything. The law made it worse. Much worse. Because you become a greater transgressor. Hmm? So here he talks about transgressing. He said, by one man's sin, we all became unrighteous. We were disobedient. Death reigned by one other man's righteous act, his obedience, we all became righteous. Right? So the question is always the same. Today, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? That, that's really all there is to, I mean, that's about really all there is to this whole book. <laughs> uh, I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying, but it really boils, the foundation is, who are you in? Because if, if you're in Adam, you're in performance. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, you know, they have done this and they've done that and they have fallen from his grace. You ever heard that statement in church growing up? <clears throat> Now, when I heard that, the way I grew up in church, I thought that meant, well, they've backslid or fallen from His grace. I just assumed they were talking about they was out of salvation. They're, they're lost again, right? You're, is that what you thought? That's not at all what he's talking about. Falling from grace, which is how you were saved, is falling back into your ability and not His. Now you're falling back into works. See, yeah. now I'm back into doing, do, do good, get good, be bad, bad's coming. Well, let me ask you this way. If the law came to curb sin or stop it, if, if God who knows everything gave the law to stop sin, did it work? Did it work then? Is it working now? Have y'all ever seen anyone in your lifetime that sinned? Oh, got quiet on me again. <laughs> Maybe someone real close in your household. Maybe in the mirror. Right? So did the law work? No, it didn't work. If, if that was its purpose, its purpose was to bring you to the end of you so you would cry out for His grace, for His love and His mercy. Jesus paid for all this. But if you don't accept His payment, then you're going to go pay for it. Mm. Romans chapter 10. Well, we got a little while. Romans chapter 10. So you don't become more righteous, do you? You're, 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 you're 100%. The Bible says He imputed unto you righteousness, he, he, he made you righteous. You're not gradually becoming righteous. You're not going to become more righteous in heaven than you are right now. 
When you walk through the pearly gates, Peter's not going to hit you with a righteous one. He's going to give you an upgrade. You're as righteous now in your spirit, in your spirit, in the new man in Christ as you will ever be. God is loving you the, way, the same way the Father loved him. God will never love you any more or any less than he loves you at this moment. If you, if you go out and do the worst of the worst today or tomorrow, if, if you go out and take 10 people out of the world, I'm just using a terrible example, God will not love you more and he will not love you less. He's not happy with that. There's all kind of consequences to that. But he's 100% love. If you have children, or you don't have children, but if you have children, you can understand this. When will you stop loving your child? If your child went to death row, that'd be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? Would you want to be there for them the last second? Although the other people on the other side of the room, he took out three of their people, or she did. I mean, that's a terrible example, but that's still your child. So your performance when it comes to love has nothing to do with it. So no one should ever have to earn your love, much less your family or your children. They should be taught about the love of God. See, the church, once again, they're, they're working on behavior. And God doesn't work on behavior. God works on the heart. He works in the heart level, which changes behavior. People are just saying, don't do this and stop doing this and don't drink that. Don't do this and don't, and don't eat no shrimp and don't, don't do this. And you can't say that and don't watch that. And don't. But if you just work on the heart, the heart will take care of all the other stuff. So we don't become gradually righteous by degrees. You, you, you may have better behavior in six months, but you won't be any more righteous. And in heaven, God will not love you anymore. Now, Romans chapter 10. Brother, my heart's desire, verse 1, and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record that he said, Paul said, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. He says, for they are going about to establish what? Their own righteousness. And not having submitted themselves to the righteousness of, of, to everyone that believeth. In other words, he said they have a zeal for God, they have a hunger for God, they have a desire for God, but they're going about trying to establish righteousness in their own way. Right? And, and they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. There it is again. What's the law? Ten Commandments. Christ is the end of what? Christ is the end of the Ten Commandments. You say, you've been saying this for years. It ain't going very far. It's going further on that camera right now. You, you know where they're having major revival in the world right now? Australia. Have been for years. You, you, you know why they are? It's because they're, they're gaining revelation of who they are in Him and of, and of the new covenant. And it's liberating them. 
right? Amen. It's liberating them to know the truth. Amen. Outside the United States, when people download our sermons, you know what country downloads most of our sermons? Australia. Right? Because they love this stuff. Amen. Amen. Christ is the end of the law. But love remains. Right? See, and that's why the Holy Spirit, he says, I'll come to live in you and I'll teach you. Because the law wouldn't go far enough. The law wouldn't tell you the ins and the outs. Just, oh, careful, you say it this way. Careful, doll, you say it this way. You go to a hotel and they got some mints. They don't tell you you can have, I mean, they're there for you to, to have one, right, or some. But what if someone just took the whole jar to their car when they left? Do you think that's the purpose for that? But you can't find that here, can you? Right? I mean, when I was a little, I mean, I was little, and I don't want to qualify. I was little. I was really little. <laughs> We used to go. Uh, Y'all know where Country Kitchen is? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm talking about back in the old days. Uh, now I'm over to test. Y'all know who, who Miss Jones was, grocery store next to it? Nobody. Okay. Miss Jones, she's, she'd be 187 by now. But anyway, now she's, she had a little one-pump store, and it was that and Country Kitchen. It was all family. But, but Country Kitchen's still out there. I'm sure that someone else owns it. But... We'd go out there eat sometimes on Sunday night after church. And I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know. I just, you know, I always got the same thing because I liked it. And at the end of the, that, they always had fresh banana pudding. And I wasn't mad at it either. So I got some banana pudding. So uh, family got up. My mother paid, going to the car. And I went to the bathroom before we left. And I was coming out. And I was looking around at all these tables that people had ate, but they hadn't cleaned anything up yet. And I got to look, and there was money on every table. I didn't know. And I thought, so I went around the whole restaurant. No one saw me. I mean, I, I, I never thought I was doing anything wrong. I thought, you know, I found money before as a kid, hadn't you? So this was like, wow, how could so many people lose so much? So I picked up fives and ones. I mean, and I came to the car with, and I was so excited. And my mother was the first one I wanted to share it with. <laughs> uh, we went back in Country Kitchen. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to go there again for a long time because I was very embarrassed. After I had to stand up on the chair and ask everyone to forgive me, I didn't know what I'd done. But I was stealing, right? So anyway, here he says, these people are going back to establish their own righteousness. They're doing it in their own ways. Here's the question I want to give you. How do you know if you have now submitted yourself to the righteous of God? What's some ways that we can know that we've submitted ourselves to the righteous of God? Maybe this is some of the ways. We might quit asking questions like this. What do I have to do to get God's favor? What do I have to do to be blessed financially? What do I have to do to be accepted and approved by God? What do I have to do to be healed? What do I have to do to get my prayers answered? If it's anything other than trust in Jesus, you're not submitted. You're not submitted to his righteousness, but you're doing it with the standard of yours.
It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Jesus and you and all this other stuff equals nothing. Hmm. Now, uh, I think we got time for this and we'll call it today. Go to Romans chapter 9, or we're right there at it, right? Romans 9.30. 30 through 32, uh, 30 through uh, 33, I think. What shall we say, uh, say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, did, never attained the law of righteousness. So it said, we Gentiles, we never followed it, and we're, and we're righteous. Those who did follow it never became righteous. Hmm. Verse 32, whereof they sought it not by faith, as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I, I, this is God speaking, I lay in Zion a stumbling block and a rock of offense, that whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, the word, you read the, the phrase stumbling block? Watch this. The word stumbling block in the Greek is the word scandalon. Say it with me, scandalon. Guess what? Guess what we were, What word we have in our English vernacular from the word scandal on? Scandal. Yes, man, you are absolutely brilliant, <laughs> right? Scandal. Y'all know what a scandal is? Have you ever been in the grocery line and saw uh, the National Enquirer? Have you ever saw a scandal on there? Have you ever saw an alien with four heads uh, or something like that? You know. So that's where we get the word scandal. How many of the world loves a good scandal? Sometimes, hopefully, the church does. Well, he said, God the Father said, for those, of, those who won't accept their righteousness by faith, he said, I put a stumbling block in them. He said, in other words, I, I'm going to do something to make them stumble. I mean, God's trying hard to reach the people to make it easy. He says, so I'm going to put something in the way they're going to trip over. Okay? A good, juicy scandal. Booth sales, magazines, whatever you want to say it. Scandals involve disgraceful and offensive activities. So the Apostle Paul refers to the gospel as a scandal. He says the cross is the heart of the scandal. The scandal is even though your sin was great, God's love was greater called the good news, okay? The scandal is because your sin is so great then you should provide a sacrifice or a blood sacrifice for for you to be accepted. But the thing is God's already beaten you to it. Christ was offered for you who knew no sin so that you could become the righteous of God in Him. So He beat us to it. We couldn't climb to heaven so heaven came down to us. The scandal is so Amazing! The love of God is so amazing that the scandal will make you blush. It'll make every cell in your body scream with thanksgiving and praise. 
Colossians 1.27, he calls you faultless and blameless. So when you come in the door, he says, there comes old faultless. There comes old blameless. Hmm? God made an oath in Isaiah 54, speaking of Genesis 9 in Noah's day, that he said, I, I swear, I, I give an oath that I will never be wroth with mankind. I'll never flood the earth again. And the sign that I'll never flood is a what? Isn't it amazing that we have more, we have more faith in a rainbow than we do that God will never turn on us with wrath? And when we think God is judging us because he's angry with us, then you mean you're going to put faith in someone who won't keep his word under oath? God gave his oath. But now we wonder if he's angry with us, right? So the scandal was great, but God made it the blessing. I want to finish with this this morning. Y'all ever heard of, uh, and I, I actually read this years ago when I was, got a hold of this book, and I, it was really, uh, at the time, it was, for me, it was, uh, I had to read it and walk away for a while. Max, like, I don't know if it's Licato or Licato. Or potato or potato, tomato or tomato, I don't know. But in his book of grace, this is what he said. He said, several years ago, he said, I went under a, underwent a heart procedure. He said, my heartbeat had the, had the irregularity of a telegraph, telegraph operator sending Morse code. Fast, 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 slow, slow, slow. After several attempts to restore a healthy rhythm to, with meditation, my doctor decided that, that I should have a catheter ablation or ablation. The plan went like this. A cardiologist would insert two cables into my heart via a blood vessel. One was a camera. The other was the ablation tool. To ablate means to burn, to cauterize, to single, and then to brand. If all went well, the doctor, would, to use his coinage, would destroy the misbehaving parts of my heart. Y'all with me so far? As I was being wheeled into surgery, Max Licato said, he said, I asked, he asked me, did I have any final questions? He said, I didn't really like those choice of words, final. He said, so I just tried to be witty. I said, well, doctor, while you're burning, he said, you're burning the interior of my heart, right? He said, that's what, correct, that's what I'm doing. So you intend to kill the misbehaving cells? He said, yes, that's right. He said, that's my plan. He says, as long as you're in there, could you take your little blowtorch to some of the greed, selfishness, superiority, uh, and guilt? He smiled. The doctor smiled. Said, he said, that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> he says, indeed it is, but it's not out of God's. He's in the business of changing hearts. We would be very wrong to think that change happens just overnight. But we would be equally wrong to assume change never happens at all. Sometimes it comes in fits and spurs and an aha moment here and there, a breakthrough there, but it comes. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, Titus 2.11. The floodgates are open and the water's out. You just never know when grace will seep in. Then he asked the question, can you use some? He says the meaning of life is this. The meaning of life, the wasted life, the poor choices of life that you and I have made, this is how God answers the messes of your life. He answers them with one word, grace, which is love at work. He says this, and he says, when grace happens, we receive not a nice compliment from God, but we receive a new heart. 
Give your heart to Christ when he, when, and he will return the favor. He says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. Ezekiel 36. We are Jesus Christ. We belong to him. But even more, we are increasingly becoming more him. He moves in and he commanders our hands, our feet. He requisitions our mind and our tongues. We sense him arranging debris into, into the divine, a pig's ear into a silk's purse. He repurposes your bad decisions and squalid choices. Little by little, a new you emerges. He decided, Romans 8, 29 message translation, he decided from the, from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines of the life of his son. Listen to this part here. Grace is, this is his book on grace. Grace is God. Grace is God as a heart surgeon. Cracking open your chest and removing your heart. Poisoned as it is with pride and pain and replacing it with his own. Rather than to tell you to change, he creates the change. Do you clean up so he can accept you? No, he accepts you and he begins to clean up. His dream uh, isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. What a difference that makes. You can't forgive your enemy. You can't face tomorrow. You can't forgive your past, but Christ can. And he's on the move, aggressively budging you from graceless to grace-shaped living. The gift giver giving gifts. Forgiving people are now forgiving people. Deep sighs of relief. Stumbles, yes, many, but seldom, but despair seldom. Grace is everything Jesus is because grace is Jesus. Grace lives because he does, works because he works, and matters because he matters. He placed a term limit on sin and, the, sin and then danced a victory jig in the graveyard. To be saved by grace is to be saved by him. It's not an idea. It's not a doctrine. It's not a creed or church membership, but by Jesus himself who will sweep into heaven anyone who so much as even gives him a nod. Not in response to a finger snap or to your religious chant or to your secret handshake. Grace will not be sta stage managed. I, he said, I have no tips on how to get grace. The truth is we, we don't get grace, but it sure gets us. Because God's grace on you, God's grip on you is, is greater than your grip on him. Grace hugged the stink out of the prodigal son and scared the hate out of Paul and pledges to do the same in us. If you fear that you've written too many checks on God's kindness account, dragging regrets around like a broken bumper, huff and puff more than you delight in rest, most of all, if you wonder whether God can do something with the mess of your life, then grace is what you need now. Love the stink of the prodigal son. <laughs> He's quite an author. Grace is love at work. Hallelujah. So we're... As you become established in his righteousness, that's where it takes hold. God is 100%. He's not 99 and three quarters. He's all the way. He's in love with you. He doesn't love you. He's in love with you. And he does not even want to help himself. Amen. God bless you. Have a big day. See you Wednesday.